You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. E-S-N-Y. episode of the Hoops Addicts Anonymous podcast, an Elite Sports NY production, recording on February 27th, just a little before 7 p.m. at night. Uh, we took a little bit of a hiatus, but thrilled to be back again with my guy Chip Murphy, and we are very, very pumped to have a very talented writer and content producer from the OTG Off the Glass website, and Corey, correct me if I'm wrong, but a co-host for the NBA Outlet podcast and hosts his own podcast, which he was very kind to have me on over the summer. Full Access Hoops. Corey, what's going on, man? Thank you for coming to the show. How's everything going? Uh, everything's going good. I mean, thank you guys for having me on the show. Um, I'm always fun. I always love networking and you know hopping on other content, talking basketball with a variety of voices. That's always fun. And you, you were right. I co-host the NBA Outlet, um, and I host Full Access Hoops. Both podcasts of mine are a part of OTG Basketball. Awesome, awesome. And um, a known Pacers fan, as I've been following you since we kind of connected over the summer. So as, as I'm sure uh, we've talked a little bit, both Chip and I are Knicks fans here. We're putting all that that uh, history aside. We, we're very interested to talk about the Pacers. They've had a very interesting season this year. Certainly a much more successful one than the Knicks, but uh, we don't need to get into that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but really what I wanted to start off with is when, when me and Chip started this pod, one of the things that we really wanted to do is, just like you said, we wanted to network. We wanted to get other writers and pr- content producers on here just to talk about their process, uh, what influenced them, what made them want to go this route of sports blogging, or what um, drew them to the websites where they write. So that's really where I want to start with you. I've seen a lot of really great stuff come out of OTG. Um, so just kind of go through you know, what, what connected you with them and, and really what started you on the journey towards wanting to either record or do podcasts or you know, just your love for the game in general. Yeah, um, I mean, my love for the game starts with one person who we lost tragically, but that's Kobe Bryant. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't love the game of basketball without Kobe. Uh, and I remember being in high school, being in middle school, staying up late to watch West Coast games because I wanted to see Kobe play. I was always a Pacers fan, but my love for basketball itself really started with Kobe. Um, and then, you know, uh, I was actually Nick Fay, who is the owner of um, OTG Basketball, who is the founder of it and the host of the NBA Outlet, which I co-host, we actually, um, we lived 30 minutes from each other. We used to work at um, Modell Sporting Goods together. And he came to me with this idea of starting a basketball website. And I remember we had one other kid with us, I think uh, Matt. And we just sat down. We were eating like hot dogs and hamburgers and just brainstorming names for a basketball blog. Um, we came apart. We came onto Off the Glass. 
and then we kind of ran with that. Um, and then back then, I was more of a background voice. I really wasn't into podcasting yet. I was doing writing. I probably writing an article like once every couple months. I was still in the school heavily. Um, and then when I was in school, I was kind of segueing out of what I was doing with criminal justice. And I wanted to get more into sports. So then blogging became a thing. And I realized that OTG basketball could be a bigger opportunity. And that's when I really took another step forward into the website, became producing podcasts. Um, and I'm actually like technically behind the scenes. I'm one of the core members of OTG basketball. And if you're looking at the hierarchy, it's like Nick and then me. Um, but yeah, you know, OTG basketball was my platform. And then now it's just about, you know, podcast writing and just producing as much content as possible but um OG basketball was it's almost like my baby in a sense because i was there from the beginning and i've seen it grow to what it, it is now and then the hope is just to keep on expanding that dude that's awesome man and uh and from what i've seen and and you know when i've gone onto the site it looks like you guys are really trying to expand especially getting writers to cover you know some of the other teams in the nba you know i always see some of the the stuff that's coming out i think you guys have a pretty strong brooklyn nets uh, yeah, the, and... the Atlantic Division itself, we're pretty strong in Knicks, Celtics, and Nets. Those big, those three teams in particular, we're pretty big on. Um, what's the next step for you guys? What's what are you guys kind of looking forward to in terms of expanding or just building um, people that are involved and affiliated with the website? You know, what's what are your guys' kind of vision going forward? Um, I mean everything's in baby steps you know patience is the name of the game in this industry uh, in particular um you know we're really looking forward to trying at first to get full team coverage for every single team in the nba which sounds way more challenging than it is because you know obviously we can't offer people you know like espn money or something right. like that so trying to get every team solid content production is the first and you know the, the biggest um goal for us right now and then also moving on to having a podcast maybe for every single team in the nba and we have the broken buzz which is a net centric podcast we have a uh, heater's gonna heat which is a miami centric podcast so we're trying to move more towards team centric podcasts to give teams their own voice um, from otg uh, and then we're, we are partnered with dsgntree.com which is a t-shirt merchandiser and we do have some shirts that we put out um, like a Kawhi leonard shirt etc stuff like that so starting to push out more merchandise and just using more creativity to kind of um you know, attract viewers and, and fans. Absolutely. And I think uh, one of the really cool parts about all of this is um, I know you started this with, with guys that, that you knew or at least grew up uh, pretty close to, but even just kind of developing connections with people you don't know. Like, I, like Corey, yeah. I think you, you live in uh, upstate New York, right? Correct. Yeah, I live in uh, the Dutchess County area. It's near like Poughkeepsie, Newburgh. If oh, anyone yeah. listening knows that High Park, that kind of area near Rhinebeck. I grew up down in Westchester. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think Chip Chip is a Jersey guy, right? Yeah, North Jersey. North Jersey. North Jersey. Okay. But it's cool. Yeah, I mean, like, when we do you like Sopranos, Chip? I love the Sopranos. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's a good answer. We're off to a good start. Yeah, but but it is cool. Like you bring up the whole community aspect of it. Um, there's a lot of people that I didn't know before. You know, I started with Elite Sports NY. I had actually reached out to Chip originally uh, and emailed him and just said, "Hey, I saw that your site is interested in writers. Um, you know, hey, I, I have a piece that I'd like to submit." And then I met like a whole bunch of people through that, and then it's kind of, it's just developed on and on. So now me and Chip are doing. You know, our own podcast is a part of Elite Sports NY. So I think when you're doing it with a community of people that you you trust and respect and, you know, I think it makes it a little bit more different, a little more special. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think um, what we like, at least what we try out to do, we try and make it like, a, you know, a team and family atmosphere. Like, right. we're all on the same team. You don't, you know, pushing out someone else's content, promoting someone else doesn't take away from your opportunity, you know, just to keep networking and pushing everyone else forward. Because honestly, you know, people who, and I, those people do exist in this industry where they're cutthroat, you know, not to drop names. I think like that guy was like Scout with Brian who kind of like attacked everyone <laughs> in the NBA Twitter universe. Like those kind of guys, that I just guy. think they're is the worst he really oh, is yeah he just talked at everybody in such you know a, an aggressive tone but there's people like that who only care about themselves whereas you know there's you guys and like what we try and do at otg where it's about just pushing everyone forward yeah i, I definitely I'm, I'm i'm big on the positivity man you know even yeah. if even if you don't have a take like where you don't agree with me or you support like nick's twitter is crazy too because i don't know how pacers twitter is because nick's twitter is um extremely tribal so like you have players that you stand for and then you hate everybody else, you know, like, and for some reason it just, it just becomes a whole season long story where it's like, you know, some, we all know the, the, the like memes and the sentences, like imagine, imagine not liking like, you know, like all this shit. Right. And so like that, that's a big part of Nick's Twitter, but I've always tried to be a little bit more on the positive side of it. Like for the most part, most of these young players who we might have on both teams, like, you know, generally, unless their, their skill set or their mentality really just isn't correct, they probably could succeed given the right circumstances, amount of playing time, development. Um, but it's just like, for some reason, whatever or not, we get very fixated into like this one player and, oh, if he could just get on the court with this combination of two other players right. and this team would be great and stuff like that. And then you get a whole bunch of just like infighting that just like, becomes nauseating but that's twitter i mean like at the end of the day yeah, like, yeah. there's also there's twitter a part of that it's a world of chaos yeah place um but i think that's probably a good place to transition into the pacers um i know when when chip and i we were talking a little bit before we had you on we we're really interested in talking about this team because it's almost been like a tale of two seasons um you know right now the Pacers are, I, I believe, sixth in the standings, um, yeah. 12th in net rating, 16th in offensive rating, 8th in defensive rating, you know, scoring. It seems like it's been uh, by committee for the most part. They have four players, five if you want to put Oladipo in there, who I think has uh, been here for just about eight eight games in the season so far. Um, very interested team. I, I want to start with Chip here uh, just to kind of – get the ball rolling, you know, what, what do we see kind of with the Pacers and, and what do we see, you know, with their season so far? Yeah. The thing that interests me the most about the Pacers is really the, their shot selection. Like their, uh, their last in three point attempt rate and their last in free throw rate. And it seems to me, it seems like they have some pretty good shooters, so they should be shooting the ball a little bit more, but the fact that they're last in free throw rate, I get that Oladipo isn't there right now, but I mean, they have like six guys on the roster who shoot 75% or better from the free throw line. So they, it seems like they should be getting to the line more, but I don't know. I, Me and you were talking about this, Jeff. The main thing I took away from when we were doing research was they take a lot of mid-range shots. Right, a ton. Like, no one, no one takes more mid-range shots except the Spurs. And we all know Greg Popovich is the 
Homer Simpson's dad about the three point shot. So he's going to be, he's going to be the mid range guy forever. So I guess my question to you, Corey is about, uh, cause I think it all comes back to, uh, Sabonis and Turner. Cause that's when I was watching stuff on the Pacers for this, I, that's what I focused on mostly. I think it's fascinating kind of how Sabonis has broken out this year and Turner has really declined. Like, and even with Oladipo not there where he had the opportunity to get more shots and to score more and his percentages have gone down, he's taken more threes. So I think that it's interesting how he's probably destined to be traded now. Uh, I think that you would have more insight. What do you think? Uh, or who do you think, what kind of player would they try and move him for? I know something, there was a rumor that they'd be interested in Aaron Gordon from the Magic. Do you have any idea what you think they could get for him or what even they would try to get for him? Um, I mean, man, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. When it comes to like free throws and three-point percentage, it's two things I think that collectively drives every single Pacers fan mad. Uh, is watching this team not shoot, you know, even the league average in threes. Um, having, as you mentioned, you know, certain guys like T.J. Warren's a guy who constantly is around the rim. Demonstra Zabonis is constantly around the rim. Brogdon, and you can't get to the free throw line more. Um, you know, those are those have been the two biggest issues for the page. And then you mentioned the, the Demonte Sabonis, Miles Turner thing. Um, and it's just, you know, it's it's extremely tough. And I got to give, like, my hats off to Miles Turner because for him, this has probably been one of the most stressful years in the sense of the fact of, like, we don't close out games with Miles Turner even on the floor most of the time. Right. Our closing lineup is generally Demontis Sabonis, TJ Warren, Malcolm Brogdon, and then, you know, it's one of the Holiday brothers and then maybe McConnell or McDermott, depending on if we want three-point shooting or someone to push the pace. Um, so Miles Turner has almost, almost been only used for defensive situations late in games. Uh, you know, and I, actually, it doesn't show up on the box score, but when they actually start off games, Miles Turner doesn't even play center anymore. We technically have DeMontis a bonus running center, and Miles Turner is used as a power forward, especially on offense, where you mentioned he keep, takes more three-point shots. We have him pretty much just standing around the three-point line, looking for three-point attempts and trying to get more pick-and-pops for him going. I don't even want to say it's a fault of either one of these two guys. This is more of a fault of Nate McMillan. Um, you know, Pacers Twitter has slowly revolted against McMillan. Okay. It, it was kind of brewing before the season started. Now this season we've kind of pushed um, our foot on the gas pedal a little bit more. It just, first off, you can't play two big men in the NBA right now. We, we Almost yeah. everyone knows that. It just doesn't really work. But this this pairing of Sabonis and Turner could work if Turner is used in a more effective way offensively because, again, having a big man like Miles Turner who can give you such good rim protection and three-point shooter, that's extremely valuable in today's NBA. And I almost feel like if we were to trade away Miles Turner, and I'll give a, a prediction of who I think could be a good trade target for the Pacers, then like I feel like that team gets the best version of Miles Turner, and then I'm pissed off watching Miles right. Turner go, you know, 17 and 8 with two blocks, and he's hitting, you know, 44% of his threes. Um, you know, Sabonis, of course, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Sabonis, you know, 16, um, what is it? He's averaging, you know, 18 points per game, 12 and a half rebounds, and almost five assists per yeah, game. Yeah, such a great Jack passer, too, man. I mean, really, oh, it's fun watching rating. him underrated for sure um so yeah i mean this has been the dilemma and again i don't think we're going to see miles turner traded anytime soon because 
you know, even though Victor Oladipo is officially back now, it's been eight games. They haven't been a great eight games. You know, he's shooting 33% from the field, 25% from three. He's been really bad. Not, I won't say really bad, but as we know, when players come back from injury, there's just that, you know, couple-month window where they just don't have their NBA legs right. yet. Like, you have to get into game yeah. shape. It's just not the same going through the motions and practice and drills. Um, so, you know, Victor Oladipo's got to get acquainted. I think this Pacers organization in general, they don't want to hit – blow up and reset until they see what almost a full season may look like with this starting five of TJ Warren's bonus Brogdon, um, uh, Oladipo, um, and Turner. So I think we're not going to see them pull the plug, but if they were to trade miles Turner, Aaron Gordon, please, for the love of God, no, <laughs> no, you don't want him. Really? Really? <laughs> you don't want Aaron Gordon. It will be, it would be fun to see him in transition. He's become a better three point shooter. Um, he is a very good defender, so defensively he would fit. Uh, I, I just rather – I would rather, like, before the season started, I know Bill Simmons was high on, like, a Jalen Brown from Miles Turner trade. I wish a trigger was pulled oh, man. on a Jalen Brown from Miles Turner trade because I can't go back now. There's no way a deal like that gets done. Um, but but that would have been a lot of fun to see Jalen in this situation and have Turner on the Celtics. It actually might have balanced out both teams a little bit better looking back. Um I don't know. I think if there was some way to, to pry, a, you know, again, like I, I guess my, it depends on what you value Miles Turner as right now. Like, what would you guys say, for example? I'll, I'll fl- throw it back at you guys. What is the value of Miles Turner right now? Is it a lottery draft pick or is it a, you know, a mid range draft pick and a young athlete? Like, what would you think the return for Miles Turner is right now from your perspective? Yeah, I think he's a mid range draft yeah. pick and a young player. I'm on, I'm on the same I, wavelength. Okay, because yeah. um, you know how it is when you're when you, it's your team, you tend to overvalue right. players a lot <laughs> yeah. more. Um, I know Minnesota Timberwolves fans; they kept sending me like uh, DMs about possible Miles Turner trades at the deadline, saying, "Yo, man, would you take Jared Culver and Josh Okiji for Miles Turner?" I was like, "No, I don't I'm either one." What about Dang in the deal? I was like, "No, yeah, you're not the needle at all here." Yeah. Um, no, I, I think Culver hasn't shown anything. There, people are really high on him. Well, I, you know what's funny? Time. So I, I have to admit, I was I was one of those guys. I, I did a, a ton of research on him. Um, I'll, I, I think box plus minus, especially at the college level, like if you look back over the years, a lot of the guys that were over 10 or 11 have been very successful in the NBA, and, and he was one of them. I, you know, yeah. I don't want to say that um, – yeah, obviously any prospect needs time, but his shot was already kind of broken when he was in college and it just hasn't gotten much better. I mean, he is a, he's got the tools to be a, a decent and willing defender. Um, he, he, I, he worked hard in college. I don't think that's gone anywhere. I'm, I don't think the book has gone to him, but, but he has been surprisingly bad. Um, so that's been tough, but listen, Turner, you know, Turner has the skill set to be the quintessential five in the league. You know, he's averaging two two blocks a game. Um, not this year, but we've seen him shoot the three better. Um, can obviously be a, a, a rim protector and a rim runner. Um, and I think, Corey, what you said earlier might unfortunately be the, the most likely outcome. That he does, he get he gets moved somewhere and it's, and it's to a team that that legitimately needs his skill set, but more importantly has the pieces around him to support his skill set where and that where he would succeed. And that kinda yeah, and I'll let you yeah. What 
Didn't want to interrupt just, you there. I was just, I was just, you talking is like, imagine Miles Turner like the Houston Rockets. Oh my God. Yeah. Like that is the absolute perfect big man to fit what they're trying to do. And he can shoot the three on offense and then defensively you have the rim protection there. Like right. that would be like an ideal fit and like a doomsday fit if I like had to see him elsewhere. But that yeah, kind of. No, no Pacers fan wants to see him succeed. And no one, no one wants to see the Rockets succeed at all. Oh so no. no Good God. No. Go no. No. We, want, we want to see Miles Turner succeed just on the Pacers. That's, that's what that yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that kind of brings me um, to my next question. You know, we were talking a lot about Nate McMillan. And um, I, I have to say, prior to Oladipo coming back, I really felt, and especially in previous years as well, you know, I don't know if you, if you felt the same way, but, you know, McMillan has never really been mentioned with, you know, in, in the top tier of coaches. But this guy... Especially with Oladipo out, I thought really kept the ship steady. Um, you know, with it with a decent roster. I, I don't want to um, talk poorly about the roster at all because I actually like some of the things they did in the summer with it with a solid roster. But I think I, at least the guys that I talked to, I don't think had the Pacers, you know, in the top four to six, you know, seedings in the East. You know, maybe maybe on the outskirts. But I think he did a pretty good job. But I wanted to ask. What specifically, I know you mentioned a little bit, is causing the revolt? Because there's a part, um, when I was talking to Chip before, there's some good shooters on this roster. It seems like playing with Dematis at the five might make a lot of sense. But the Pacers are 24th in pace. As Chip was saying before, they take a ton of mid-range. Do you feel like, I, I don't know personally what McMillan hangs his hat on. It definitely sounds like it's defense, but is that also connected... Is it also connected to slow it down, be a little bit more deliberate in the offense? Like, do you feel like that's maybe also a cause of this revolt? Because it, it seems like they're playing, you know, in, in previous decades, but but it's also been successful to an extent. So I, I you know, it's tough. I, I mean, I think it's I think it's on McMillan. Now, obviously, I think to start this season, he had to kind of make do. Because, again, this Pacers team, you know, Miles Turner, I was at the Brooklyn Nets game earlier this year, and Miles Turner sprained his ankle and missed a lot of time after that game. So, like, Miles Turner missed some time. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon has missed a ton of time as well between, uh, you know, some back spasms. Um, he has uh, plantar fasciitis, as we know, which never goes away. So he, he constantly will deal with that issue from time to time. Um, as we know, Jeremy Lamb had a hip injury early on in the season. He just suffered that devastating left knee injury. Oh, God. You know, torn ACL, torn meniscus, fracture all in the left knee. Um, you know, Kobe mentality, though, did hit both of his free throws. Yes. So, like, shout out to that. I saw that. That was awesome. Right. Um, so I think it's McMillan because also Kevin Pritchard, uh, after this last offseason said that the whole goal of the Pacers team this year is to push the pace. Mm. We want to be faster. We want to shoot more threes. And then when you look at how the team is playing, clearly that's not the kind of offense this team is running. Um, McMillan is just, we're really we're a really good pick and roll team. And that's because we have Sabonis. So Malcolm Brogdon, Victor Oladipo, it doesn't really matter who it is. We run a lot of pick and roll between Sabonis and Turner. Turner's not very good in the pick and roll. He should be used exclusively in the pick and pop. But I understand you have to, you know, you still have to run him, I guess, to keep the defense honest. Um, and TJ Warren, even though he's a, a decent three-point shooter, most of his damage comes from him creating his own shot and getting in the paint. Uh, it, it just it just feels like there's a, a difference in philosophy between um, the current NBA McMillan. He's just he just lives in the past. That's why again, you know, Nate McMillan and the Pacers have never gotten out of the first round. You know, three straight years or two straight years we've been bouncing the first round the year before the year 
prior we didn't make the playoffs, I think. Um, or we lost in the first round, thinking to the Toronto Raptors, actually. So three first-round exits in a row. Mm. Um, and that's kind of where this team is built because we don't shoot enough threes. And I think that's on McMillan. Um, and I also just think like Malcolm Brogdon, a guy who was a 50-40-90 guy with the Bucks last year in a smaller role, has been really good in a bigger role. You know, 7.2 assists per game is a career high. But that guy cannot shoot. And if you watch Malcolm Brogdon, he has no lift in his jump shot. I'm not sure if that's, you know, something between the back spasms he had early in the year or the foot issue. McMillan and the training staff have said that there's nothing wrong with Brogdon. But I can watch Brogdon and tell you right now that guy is not 100%. Mm. Um, and the issue thing that, too, is that Oladipo's not hitting his shots. And the fact of the matter is, with Oladipo back, Aaron Holiday has lost almost all of his minutes. And he was the second-best three-point shooter on this team before Oladipo came back. Because, again, that record was 30-17 and 17 before Oladipo came back. And we've won, I think, two out of our last 11 games since. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, you know, you especially bring up the the injury of Lamb. I think that's huge. I, I didn't realize actually how important he was to the team until I saw a stat that basically said he's fifth on the team in drives per game. Uh, so he yeah, really, so, he functions he almost functions as like a like secondary creator. Secondary. Um, and he's actually and he's even actually- got more... Points per possession off drives than like McConnell, Brogdon, and Holiday uh, also hit 38.5% of catch and shoot threes. Like the dude is, he was money this year. Like I, he was all, that's not very good defensively. I will yeah. say that one knock against Jeremy Lamb is he's not a good defender, but when his jump shot is on, there's a lot of value there. Right. And it's, and it, I think that's another, it's, it's tough. Like where do you guys go from there? You know, I think that's a big part of how the rest of this season is going to play out. Um, it's tough, and, and I was just looking today. If if the standing if it ended today, I mean, I think they would play what the Celtics in the first round. I mean, that's a that's a rough matchup, man. Yeah, um, I mean, definitely would be a tough matchup. I think the one, I mean, I can't even say the benefit would be you know our front court because Daniel Tice and those guys have played so well in under that collective unit in Boston. I mean, and then again, last night watching that Utah Jazz game, you know, Jason Tatum's going to score like that with, J- with Jalen Brown throwing an offense. They don't even have Kemba. Like, that team is extremely scary right now, the Boston Celtics. Um, but you mentioned it with, like, this team. The Pacers have been really good, and this is something that I've been lucky to be as, like, a fan, is when we hit our ceiling, the Pacers make no shame in shaking things up, right? Like, Last year, for example, we hit our ceiling. Collison obviously retired, but Boyan Bogdanovich, Thaddeus Young, who was the team captain for the Pacers, we said, you know, goodbye so long. We got to go in a different direction. So it's very likely or possible that if this season ends with another first round exit, if McMillan maybe isn't fired, I wouldn't be. This is what opens up the door, at least, for a Miles Turner to bonus trade. Because, again, the Pacers do not like being. Um, you know, at their ceiling. And we may see this roster as it's currently orchestrated at their ceiling. And the players with the most value, aside from Oladipo, is Sabonis and Turner. That's true, definitely. Uh, Chip, what do you see? Do you see them maybe moving on from McMillan, potentially? Yeah. I mean, they've shown that they're not afraid to move on from successful coaches in uh, the past. I mean, they, uh, they held on to Vogel, I guess, for probably as long as they could, but he had a lot of, he had more success with them than McMillan has and they moved on from uh, him he went to Bogle went to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Heat yeah so if they'll move on from him they're going to move on from McMillan and like you said he's been bounced from the first round he hasn't made yeah. it out of the first round and so, actually just not to cut you off um but no, 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 that was, the fun thing that Larry Bird actually said after we fired 
Vogel and we hired McMillan, when they asked him why he let go of Vogel, Larry Bird said because he believes a head coach only has control of a locker room for three years. I remember that. I remember that, too. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, this is year four. And obviously, Larry Bird is no longer in the position he was when Frank Vogel was, um, you know, part of the team. So it could be a different philosophy in the front office. You know, Kevin Pritchard going to run ship how he wants to run it. But it could be a sign that maybe um, the Pacers front office, because obviously Larry Bird, Donnie Walsh, that old regime, they're not in any big market name position, but they're all still very much involved in what goes on in the Indiana Pacers front office. Isn't he a consultant still, yes. kind of Walsh and Bird, yes. right? Yep, yeah. and they're almost at every home game. Yeah. That's a that's an so interesting question. So I'm sure question. Pritchard. I'm sure they work with Pritchard and stuff. Right. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. How uh, how old is Donnie Walsh now? Uh, he looks old. I yeah, tell you that. man. <laughs> that uh, that dude has he's seen a lot of basketball for sure. Um, one of the other things I want to kind of t- kind of touch on is just some of the younger guys on the Pacers. Um, I was I was pleasantly surprised when they drafted uh Goga Patadze. Bita- how do you pronounce that? Patadze. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I'm terrible with European names, so please don't make me do no, it. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's, yeah, I mean, I know how to spell it. Yeah, 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 yeah. If we had to write it, we, we would be able to write it. Um, yeah. but yeah, I was pleasantly surprised when they drafted him. I was looking at some of his stats. He's played in a ton of games. The minutes are not up there, but, uh, I think the thing that, at least, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, I'm pretty sure he came with the reputation of spreading the floor. From where from wherever he came from, but I don't think those numbers are so great. But how has he fared so far this year? Okay, well, um, so Goga, which I was calling by his first name, Goga was brought in, I believe, under what we have talked about a lot of this podcast in the doomsday scenario of does Sabonis and Turner not fit together? Okay, because Goga is a stretch five. Um, he can defend the rim. He's a decent rebounder. He can shoot. He can shoot the three. Obviously, the numbers don't necessarily show that this year. Um, he played a decent amount of minutes when Miles Turner was out early on, and then obviously when Turner's the bonus are healthy, you're playing most of, most most of your center minutes there, and Goga just can't be played. And uh, you know, him being just 20 years old, he's still learning the game. Um, he's still uh, at times, you know, Nate mcmillan has got to point him on where to go defensively. So he's still trying to learn the Patriots' offense to get himself more acquainted. I don't think he also speaks that much English yet. Okay. Um, but he was brought in 100%, I believe, in case the bonus return doesn't work out because then he can be the backup center of the future and you have him at such a young age and maybe he can develop into something that's you know relatively similar to what Turner was. Okay. And then the uh, the other guy, and this is – he's not new by any stretch, but I remember when this guy came out of college, I was not high on him, but I thought there was a decent chance that he would have a solid career in the NBA. Um, I really have not followed his development a lot, but I was just looking. I don't think he's he's played a ton this season, but what's going on with TJ Leaf? It, is it, are they pretty much out on that experiment? Are they just trying to trade him for a bag of chips at this point? Like, what's going on with him? TJ Leaf is terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It's TJ Leaf. Oh. I did not win them the draft, TJ Leaf. We had OJ and Anube right there. Oh. The and I was like, go get him. Yeah. And we went with oh, TJ Leaf. Wow. We wanted the stretch four. 
he is bad. He cannot play defense. Wow. If he, he can hit some threes, he actually offensively he's not terrible. But the Pacers play such good defense that you just can't afford to have TJ Leaf out there. Right. Um. He's just bad. We we made him available at the trade deadline this year and got what I believe would be no offers because Jesus. he wasn't moved. Um, so he he just hasn't worked out. But again, we talked we we kind of alluded to this early on in this this podcast. Situation and you know fit is everything. So TJ Leaf may have a rotational career ahead of him elsewhere, but it's definitely not with Indiana. Gotcha, gotcha. Chip, um, any other Pacers things that uh, that uh, you want to touch on? Um, I'm not. I don't think so. I just wanted to ask mostly about Sabonis and Turner. You touched on the stuff that I wanted to. Uh, Aaron Holiday, I wanted to ask yes, yeah. your opinion on. I'm a big Aaron Holiday guy. I liked him for the Knicks when he was coming out. So I just wanted to ask you about him and what you thought about his future. I know you mentioned him a little bit, but just his future. What do you think about him? Love him. Uh, he is beloved. Uh, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of teams when they were making their, you know, their trade deadline proposals, Aaron holiday was a guy that a lot of teams I saw putting in deals because they, a lot of teams want him. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a guy who is shooting 41% from the field, but 40% from three, a decent playmaker, a scrappy defender. Um, this has actually been one of my biggest uh, issues with Nate McMillan of the past, you know, month or so. It's when Victor Oladipo came back healthy, he stripped Aaron Holiday of all of his playing time. Aaron Holiday was the odd man out when Victor Oladipo came back, and I felt like that was a bad decision. And I wanted him back in, but obviously, T.J. McConnell plays with such good energy that they don't want to take away his minutes. And unfortunately. The best thing that happened to Aaron Holiday is the fact that Jeremy Lamb's out for the season now. Because mm. Aaron Holiday now is going to be back on the rotation. He's going to see a, um, a jump up in minutes. Emin Summer, I think, is also hurt. So there's no one else to really take away Holiday's minutes now besides his own play. Right. Um, Holiday's really good. I would have been interested to see, you know, if, you know, we didn't go after Malcolm Brogdon and we put that money elsewhere. What would have happened if Aaron Holiday had got that bigger run time and maybe even a jump to being a starter early on this season? Um, but that what if does nothing for me now or anyone now. Um, but I think Aaron Holiday has proven this year at just the age of 23 that he's going to be an extremely good, um, perhaps six man with, I think, borderline starter potential. Um, the sky's the limit for him. He just needs more playing time. Yeah, I, I uh, from a Knicks perspective, I'm pretty sure that when we were shopping Marcus Morris, I think there was maybe talks that we were trying to get Holiday back in a potential deal, I mean, why, you know, obviously the Pacers would, would want to hold on to him. But I think we were trying to get a first and Aaron Holiday, which would have been very, very nice. But uh, I, I like Holiday a lot. Do you see him as more of a scoring guard with playmaking ability? Or how does he, um, you know, like what what's the ceiling in terms of his development for how he runs an offense? You know, can he really get everybody involved or... Or is he such a scoring guard that you would kind of have to run it around him and maybe him and Oladipo together would be a struggle? Um, I, I mean, just the, and the first player that comes to mind, and I'm not even saying that they're at the same level, but like, he's kind of like a Lou Williams in a sense. Okay. Of You're going to get some pesky defense, but the reality is he's going to give you offense. He can run a pick and roll. There's no issue with that. Him and Sabonis have done that just fine. He can create for others. His issue is... He's not the greatest when it comes to like penetrating and dishing and kicking out. He's more of a, um, you know, I'm either going to find you on on the wing or I'm going to create my own offense. Uh, a nice spot up shooter. I think he's more of a, 
a six-man kind of heat check offensive guy rather than um, anything much more. Okay. And then I think the last thing uh, before we get you out on in this, so it, it, we're, we're at the end of the Pacers season, um, wherever they land. If, if they, um, best case scenario, where do you see them finishing off in the playoffs? Uh, worst case scenario, and what do you think, I'm not going to ask you to, to forecast the roster, but uh, when we start next season, um, has there been a big trade made, in, including Turner? Uh, or somebody else, is there another coach besides McMillan here? Um, so I think reality is the Pacers schedule, I, I did this, um, I was on another Pacers podcast a couple a week ago, I think, actually. And we looked at their schedule. The Pacers still have every opportunity to win 50 games this year. Um, their their schedule isn't overallly, um, overall that challenging. Um, they're going to have to, you know, beat Miami. I think two, you know, they play Miami twice. I think still, um, the Celtics once, the Bucks once. They play the Bucks this week actually. Um, so fifty wins is possible. And with you know the Sixers now having no Ben Simmons, no Joel Embiid. Not sure how long he'll be out for with his uh, strained shoulder. Miami's still trying to figure things out. You know, they're three for their last or three for the last ten games, I believe. I think the Pacers could get the fourth. In the East, I think there's still a possibility for them getting that home court. They are 20 and 10 at home, 14 and 14 on the road. One of the better teams in the East when it comes to home and road splits. Um, so I think they can still get fourth. But again, you know, do I feel great about playing the Sixers or Miami in a first round series at a four or five? No, I don't. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Um, Joel Embiid uh, has bullied the Pacers a lot. Uh, so I think when you look at the season, I think there's still a first round exit, even if they get up to a four seed. Um, and then I think if they're, if they do not get out of the first round, there is no way Nate McMillan comes back for another year. Um, and then I don't think they trade Turner as a bonus. I think you give another coach the opportunity to see if you can make those two guys pairing work because then hopefully you have a full season of healthy Victor Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon. Because again, you know, that's been the tough thing with the Pacers and like trying to find the balances. Is this the team ceiling or does Oladipo need to get fully back to actually see what this team looks like? Um, and that's just the dilemma. And that's probably much what dictates the Turner to bonus situation is how much do you value Oladipo's um, performance so far in a limited sample size? I think that's a, a really good point. I, I think that's definitely something I didn't think of. I, I, you're probably right. The, the only way you can fully evaluate Sabonis and Turner together is to see what this team looks like with a, a fully healthy Oladipo. He's the stud. He's the star. You know, when, when he's on the court, they're going to have their best chance to win. And as a result of that, it's going to highlight whatever Sabonis and Turner can do on the court. Um, right. But listen, man, uh, I'm very excited to see how the Pacers end up. Uh, very happy to have you on, man. Uh, definitely great stuff. Can you uh, tell all the good people out there where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find your content, anything you guys are coming out with in the near future? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kwalhoops, K-W-A-L hoops. Uh, you can check out my content and a bunch of other good content at otgbasketball.com. Um, I don't have any crazy thing going out. I'm currently running on Full Access Hoops, my podcast. We're doing a Defining Moments of the Decade series. We're going through from 2010 to 2019, going over the top five biggest moments of that year. Nice. Um, that's the, that's the only fun project I'm really working at at the moment. Okay. But again, guys, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Dude, definitely. Thanks, Liz. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Big fan of your stuff, man. You have an open invite anytime you want to come back. And uh, yeah, man, we look forward to the good stuff you guys got going on at OTG. 
and uh, I'm sure we'll be able to do something like this in the future for sure. Awesome. All right, guys, we'll see everybody next week.